Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Seabreeze Church Online. If you're new to Seabreeze, my name is Bevan. I'm the pastor and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Well, this has been another week of firsts. For the first time ever, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost almost 3,000 points. It's not happened before. For the first time ever, a presidential debate was held with absolutely no spectators. For the first time in our state's history, all of the residents, 40 million of us, have been ordered to stay home, which is why, for the first time, I'm doing the Sunday message from my office here at home. The guy that cuts my hair this week told me that, for the first time ever, he received a tip in the form of toilet paper. Never happened before. Now, just think of how many things have happened in your week that have been the first time ever for you. It's probably been a number. The common word I hear again and again to describe this time is uncharted meaning that we don't have a map, we don't have a chart to guide us into what to do. Now a map is usually created by those who have been to the location in question and they can map it out. And that allows people who have never been there before to navigate it successfully using the map or the chart. Now when it comes to the future, we have a map problem. Nobody's been there to map it out. So the future for us is always uncharted, but that doesn't stop us from creating maps to help us navigate the future. What we tend to do is we create our future maps out of our experiences in the past, and we take what our experience has been and, and we overlay that onto the future. Helps us project what we think might happen in the future. So for example, I had tickets to see the Ducks play the Boston Bruins in hockey this last Wednesday. Now, why did I buy those tickets? Well, it's because I've bought a lot of tickets to a lot of hockey games, and never once has a game been canceled. But, of course, then it happened. A virus canceled the entire NHL season and much more. My future map, what I thought was going to happen, failed me at that point. Now, the Bible is the best map of the future because it comes from God, the only one who knows the future. Now, the Bible isn't going to tell us exactly what's going to happen in the future, but the Bible does give us principles and guidelines about how to navigate all of the uncertainty in the future. So in a time like this, we need a map of the future from the only one who knows the future. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So as it says in this verse, we never know what's going to happen tomorrow. So why do we do anything? It's because we all have faith. Not necessarily faith in God, but faith in something that gives us a reason to move forward in uncharted waters. Faith is how we navigate the uncertainty of the future. Everything we do is because of faith. For example, we go and work at a job. And we do that in faith because we believe that we're going to get paid. We're going to be compensated for that job. Now, we, of course, have good reason to believe that we'll be paid, but that's in the future. And so we can't ever be absolutely certain. And right now, we're wondering about that in some of the areas of our economy. Faith is really required for everything that we do because the future is unknown. It's uncharted. 
So before we act, we always think, now if I do this, what will happen? If we believe the outcome is going to be good, then in faith, we do it. If we don't think the outcome is going to be good, then of course we don't do it. Now we tend to think of faith as something that's just for religious people. But the truth is, we are all people of faith. We are all using something to navigate or guide us into the future. So the question is not, should we have faith? We all have faith. The bigger question is, what should we place our faith in? Now, these verses that I just read in James chapter 4 present us with the practical differences between three of the different kinds of faiths, faith that are commonly used to navigate and make decisions as we move into the future. We put faith in our plans. Sometimes we put faith in fear. And then we get an opportunity to put our faith in God. We're going to look at these three today. First of all, faith in our plans. As it said at the beginning of verse 13, now, you, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, if your life has been marked by more success than failure, planning, faith in planning, is probably your favorite faith. Who is it that confidently declares, like they did in this verse, that they're going to set up a new business in a new city and make a profit, make money? Well, the people that tend to do that are people that have done it before. Someone's done this before. Now, of course, there are people who are naively confident that they can do something that they've never done, but usually confidence is gained by experience. You gain experience in a particular area, and you learn what works and what doesn't work. You learn the patterns. Now, if you know the patterns of operating that are operating in a particular area of life, it's kind of like having a map or a chart that you can then use to predict the future. For example, let me make a couple of predictions about today. I predict that today, Sunday, the low tide will be at 3.26 p.m. My second prediction is I predict today on Sunday that the sun will set at 7.05 p.m. Now, how do I know that? Well, it's because of past patterns. The movement of our planet and the moon are very consistent, so we can do the math and predict with tremendous accuracy where they will be relative to us years from now. Now that helps if you plan to surf or if you want to see the sunset today, but what if your plans include other people? Well, now you've just entered into a realm where the formulas are far more complicated than just low tide and sunset. And that's because people are full of surprises. And that makes planning less reliable. Let's say, for example, that you knew about the coronavirus a year ago, and maybe you had nine months to plan for it. Would it have occurred to you to ramp up toilet paper supplies in advance of the pandemic? I mean, maybe, but I would have missed it, and I think a lot of people would have missed that one. Now, there are, of course, a lot of theories going around about why toilet paper, but we really aren't exactly sure why that's what happened. My neighbor actually saw a fight break out in Costco this last week over toilet paper, and that's really human nature. You just can't predict with accuracy what people are going to do, especially if they're scared. The variables that go into predicting human behavior are too numerous and too complex to be reliable. So should we avoid all planning? No. Planning really is good. It really does make a difference. This past Monday, our city put into effect a three-part plan to deal with the coronavirus. I read through the whole plan, and it's a great plan. And as I read through the plan, I was glad that we live in a city, in a state, in a country where there's a lot of smart people working on making plans to deal with this. But 
the thing about being smart and having plans is you still just never know what's going to happen. That's the big lesson of COVID-19. It's very humbling. The problem with the plan in the book of James here is not the plan itself. It's the arrogance that was driving the plan. It's the arrogance behind the plan. As it says, as it is, you boast and brag. That was the attitude that was behind this plan. They were just assuming that because they had done this before and their plans had been tested, that in arrogance, they just assumed they had the power to make their plan happen. But God says that we are all at least two critical factors short of a plan worthy of our full faith. The first area that we're short on and when it comes to making plans is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We've already talked about that. You know, we're living this verse right now. Every day, we're surprised. We didn't know this was going to happen or that was going to happen. Almost every day, something happens we hadn't thought of before. Now, if we'd known what was going to happen, then, well, we could have prepared better. We could have manufactured more ventilators. But we didn't know. And therefore, we're making new plans. Not just the government and health officials, all of us in whatever area we're working in. We're forming plans and then we're having to reform new plans because things keep changing so rapidly. I watched a news conference this past week with the LA County Health Department and they were asked all kinds of questions and the same answer was given to almost all of the questions. The answer was this, we don't know. This was said over and over again. How long will this last? We don't know. How bad is it? We just don't know. We don't have enough testing. We don't know. When will there be a cure? We don't know. Probably at least a year and a half, but we just don't know. Do we have enough hospital beds? Again, we don't know. This went on and on and on. We just don't know. Now, our second big planning problem is that not only do we not know what's going to happen tomorrow, we also don't even know if we're going to be here tomorrow. As it says in this verse, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, living here in Huntington Beach near the coast, we have all seen the fog roll in in the morning, the marine layer come in, and then just a few hours later, the sun burn it off. That's a description of what our life is really like in the grand scope of all of eternity. Now, we're worth much more than mist, but we are not much more stable than that in the grand scope of the eternal timeline. And we tend to forget how fragile we really are, how short our life really is. And COVID-19 is just another in a long line of reminders that we need to put our faith in something more than just our plans. That brings us to the second faith that we use to navigate the future, and that is faith in our fears. What this means is we let our fears tell us what to do and what not to do, how to guide us as we make our decisions in the future. Now, we tend not to think of fear as a faith. But again, faith is whatever we use to navigate the uncertainty of the future. So if your life, as I said earlier, has been marked by more success than failure, your favorite faith will probably be your plans because so many of them have worked well for you. But if on the other side, if your life has been marked more by fear and failure than success, fear is probably your favorite faith. If you've been hurt more, if you've been wrong more, if things have unraveled more, you probably lean more towards fear as your favorite faith. This is how fear works as it guides us. James chapter 4, 17, the last verse in this passage says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now, why would we struggle to do the good things that we know that we ought to do? 
Well, again, the reason is past experience. We take our past experience and we use it to guide our future decisions. And it turns out the past experience not only produces formulas that drive our planning, it also produces fears that drive our decisions. You see, we not only learn what does work, we also learn what does not work. And we don't learn it by just receiving a report that we read. We learn it by failing, by getting hurt. And whenever we get hurt, what we tend to do is we decide that we want to do whatever we can to avoid getting hurt again. But how do we do that? Well, just like the planner, we try to figure out what's most predictable. Now, what is most predictable as you look to the future and therefore safer? Doing nothing or doing something? Well, doing nothing is safer, at least in the short term. So rather than arrogantly plan for the future, this person tends to use fear to avoid doing much of anything in the future. Now, fear is kind of a basic approach to the future, but beyond basic fear, future fear tends to take particular forms depending on the person and depending on their experience. I wanna just mention four future fears that I've seen people use now to guide them in light of this current crisis. The first kind of future fear is critical fear. These are the people who in uncertainty, they crank up the criticism of people around them and in generally of those in authority. They are the ones, the critical fear people, they're the ones, if you listen to them, they know what everybody else should be doing, especially those in charge. But they're not really doing much of anything themselves. That's the nature of being critical. Criticizing sounds impressive, sounds like you really know what you're talking about, but you're not really doing much of anything. Criticizing just keeps you from doing good. Now, there will be a time in our future to evaluate the decisions that are being made now and the responses to all these decisions and to learn from it. But now is not the time to be critical of those making these decisions, of those in authority. Now is the time to do what very few people ever do, and that is follow well. The second kind of fear that I'm seeing surface is what I call uncommitted fear. Most of the good that needs to be done in this world is not just a single act of goodness. It requires an investment in someone or something over a period of time. And that requires commitment. But we tend to fear commitment because, well, it obligates us to the future. It shows up on our calendar and it gives us less, less flexibility. So in fear, many times people keep their options open. They don't schedule good or they don't put it on their calendar or obligate themselves to, to serve in any ongoing way. So what I'm seeing right now is there's a lot of goodwill going on in my neighborhood. People are talking in ways they've never talked. You go to the store and most, there's a few jerks, but most people are really friendly. There's a lot of goodwill and a lot of help going on. But sadly, it will probably pass when life returns to normal. And so now is the opportunity for all of us to evaluate the commitments to do good that we should make now and that we should continue to make in the future, even when we're not in a crisis mode. The third kind of fear that I'm seeing is called flippant fear. Now, honestly, this is my primary fear mode. When I get really nervous and I get concerned about the future, I tend to try to be flippant. I use humor to try to make light of what I'm afraid of. Now, there's nothing wrong with humor. In fact, 
I've really enjoyed some of the humor coming out of this, I, particularly a lot of the memes that are coming out of this crisis have been pretty funny. I just want to show you a couple that I've enjoyed. Uh, this one shows the image of a, a bathroom with all kinds of rolls of toilet paper everywhere, and it says, just finished my panic room. That was, I really enjoyed watching that one. This next one is a roll of toilet paper on it. It says, if you need 144 rolls of toilet paper for a 14-day quarantine, you probably shouldn't, should have been seeing a doctor long before COVID-19. Now, of course, the quarantine is beyond 14 days now, so maybe 144 rolls is reasonable. But humor is one of the ways we do manage fear, and, and it's actually okay. It's good. But we need to be really careful that the humor doesn't translate into being flippant about these matters. Be very careful that you're not using humor to make light of the challenge and of the crisis and of the pain and of the fear that really is going on right now. You could be like that basketball player who made light of the coronavirus in a news conference where he touched every, all the reporters' mics and all the recording devices, making fun of them and making light of the coronavirus, and then it turns out he tested positive the very next day and shut down the NBA. You don't want to be in that position where you make light of something that is as serious as this. The last kind of fear that I'm seeing is, I call it conspiracy fear. Some people project their fears into a conspiracy. Now, there are all kinds of conspiracy theories going on around right now about this virus. Some are saying it's just all a political ploy. Some are saying the virus was created by the medical industry in order to make money and make us more dependent on them. I've heard some say it's really a biological weapon that was designed by China and used against us, and on and on the theories go. Now, a conspiracy theory, by definition, is a hidden plan. And now, honestly, there's always hidden plans going on. God himself has a hidden plan. That's why I think some people are drawn to conspiracies, because we all sense that there's something more going on than we know. And actually, we're right. There's always something more going on than we know. There's always plans that we don't know about. And when we fear the unknown, there's just always a lot that we don't know. And if we can come up with a conspiracy, it at least gives us a sense that maybe this is why all of these things are happening. But here's the problem with the conspiracy theory, theory, just like any fear. The problem with a conspiracy is this. What if this is a conspiracy? I don't think it is, but let's just say, what if it is? What can you do about it right now? Absolutely nothing. And that's the problem with most fear, really all fear. And this is the reason we're drawn to fear is because fear leaves us with nothing to do but be afraid. In doing so, as we focus on fear, it keeps us from doing the good that God has put in front of us to do. Fear will keep you focused on all the questions that we don't have answers for. Will I get sick? I don't know. Will my wife get sick? I don't know. Then I get afraid. How bad will it get and how long will it last? I don't know. What's going to happen financially? We don't know. But while we try to answer all of these unknowable fear questions, what's happening is we're ignoring the things that we do have answers for and the things that we can do. We can both know and do the good that God has for us to do. But that requires faith in God. And that's the last kind of faith, faith in God. James 4.15 says, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In the uncharted waters of what we don't know, we need to navigate by what we do know. So instead of focusing our minds on all of the things we don't know, and there's a lot of things we don't know now, 
I encourage you to focus on at least three things that we do know. I encourage you to come back to these again and again and again. Here's the three. Number one, we know that God has a plan. That's what it says in this verse. If it is the Lord's will, he has a will, he has a plan. And if it's his will, then we will live and we will do this or we will do that. You see, if our plans don't work out, it's because they didn't fit within his plan. It's not because he has a, a worse plan, it's because he has a better plan than ours, that our plans aren't working out. Now that's hard to accept when our plans are falling apart. And that's why this requires a shift in faith from our plans, from our fear to God. And this shift in faith will not occur until we decide that God actually knows better than we do. And whenever something happens that doesn't match with our plans, we put our faith in God and recognize he has a plan. I don't understand it, but he has a plan. We humble ourselves before God and we kneel in submission to his plan. The second thing that we know, we know that God loves us. It says again, if it is the Lord's will, we will live. We will live. We think that us being alive today is a given, but it turns out it's actually a gift from God. Why? Well, he loves us. Every day we're alive is an evidence of the fact that he loves us. And then when we do die, it's not because he stopped loving us on that day, but because it was, again, part of his larger plan. Now, we tend to see every day as something we are owed. Again, because that's been our experience. You know, we've lived hundreds and maybe thousands of days. And so we begin to expect that because we've lived that long, we're always going to have these days in front of us. And so we think it's something that we are owed. But again, it's not. It's a gift from God. So I encourage you every morning when you wake up and you open your eyes and you realize that you're alive, thank him. Thank him for the gift of this day and his love for you that's represented in that gift. Know with absolute certainty that you are loved because God has decided to give you yet another day. The third thing that we know is that we are part of God's plan. It says, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Every day we do either this or that. That's what our days are. A combination of this and that. Now, we can't do everything, so we always have to decide, am I going to do this or am I going to do that? So the planners back in verse 13 had to decide whether they were going to go to this or that city. They couldn't go everywhere. They couldn't start up their business everywhere. They had to decide where they were going to go. They had to pick a city. And so now in verse 15, we still have to make this and that type of decisions. We still have to make plans. We still have to decide, are we going to do this or not do this? But in the middle of all of the this or that kind of decisions, we are to ask a bigger question than just this or that. And the question is, what is God's will for me today, right now? Now, why does that matter? Well, it's because God has a plan, and it's not something we just watch as spectators. We are a part of God's plan. On Tuesday, the Orange County Health Department issued an order about who can gather and who cannot gather and what the size of those gatherings should be. And they made an exception for what's been called essential businesses and services. This is a new category that we've heard a lot about. And I don't know if you've ever read through the list of what businesses and what services are essential, but I read through this list that the Orange County Health Department put out. 
And I have to admit, I was a little disappointed. I wasn't surprised, but I was a little disappointed that churches didn't make the list of essential businesses and services. Now, what did make the list was dry cleaners and some other things that I was a little surprised to see on the list, but churches didn't make it. Now, if you're not a first responder, you're not a medical worker, you're not working in the food service industry, it's easy right now to maybe start feeling pretty non-essential as a person. I mean, you're being told to go home because what you do is non-essential. Now, I understand, and the list makes really it makes sense to me, and I know that the list has to be done. So I understand why this list has been created, but I want to remind all of us that we are all essential to God. God doesn't have a list of, well, that's essential, what they do is essential, this person's essential, and these people are not essential. It's all essential to God. What we do is all essential. God certainly didn't need our minds. He didn't need our hands and our bodies to be able to do the work that he wanted done on earth. He could do it without us. But he created us uniquely in order to be able to do good so that we can be a part of the essential work that he is doing in this world. Now, we cannot come up with a perfect plan to make the future bend to our will. And we cannot accurately trust fear to protect us from the future. The only thing that we can ever be certain about is that God has given all of us something good to do today. So let's all do the good that God has placed in front of us today. There are tremendous opportunities right now to do good and maybe a little more free time to do that good. You know, if you're like me, you probably already had a list, maybe written or at least in your mind, of some of the good things that you have been intending to get around to for some time now, but you haven't been doing it. And the reason is that until this crisis, most days, all of the this and that decisions were kind of already made for us because we're working jobs and we're, our weeks are already kind of scheduled. And so I never had to wake up on Monday, for example, and think, what should I do today? I knew. Monday's our meeting day. We've got meetings lined up all day. I knew what I was going to do. It wasn't a this or that decision. I knew what this and that was because it was set. But now this and that has been thrown up in the air. Almost every day we're doing a new this and not that. It's disorienting, but it also is a great opportunity to rearrange the this and that patterns of your day. So I would encourage you to take advantage of it. What are some things that you've been wanting to get around to for a long time that, well, maybe now you can do? Let me give you one suggestion of a place that I would encourage you to start. Many times, people will tell me that they don't read the Bible as much as they'd like to. Well, now is a great opportunity to change that. On our website, we put together a resource called a COVID-19 Survival Guide. If you click on that resource, you'll see all kinds of other buttons, a lot of helpful ideas and resources for families and for individuals to help you navigate through this uncertainty. And we're going to keep adding more resources and things that we really think will be helpful for you uh, as we go forward in this thing. But there's one section that I want to talk about. It's about how to read the Bible. Now, in that section, there's a lot of helpful tools and suggestions to help you get started. If you've never read the Bible before, or it's been a long time since you read the Bible, there's going to be a lot of ideas, I think, that will help you figure out, how do I begin to do this? So I would encourage you to do that. And even if you've been reading the Bible for a long time, I would encourage you to check this out. There might be some things there that would really be helpful for you and suggestions that would help you kind of take your Bible reading to another level. Now, we are clearly in uncharted waters. 
The counter to uncertainty is not certainty, it's clarity. Let me say that again. The counter to uncertainty is not certainty, it's clarity. The source of clarity is the Bible. So make a plan, start reading the Bible. Now to increase your reading of the Bible, I would encourage you to carve out a moment in the day. Maybe decide I'm gonna start memorizing some verses in the Bible. Maybe you've always wanted to memorize and you just never gotten around to it. Well, start doing that now. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been watching and reading a lot of news lately. That's just kind of part of what we're doing, trying to keep up on the fast-moving, ever-changing events. And whenever I get done reading or watching some of the news, I, it usually leaves me somewhat confused and fairly unsettled. So one of the things I've decided this week is I need to balance my input. I need to start spending, I'm not tracking it exactly, but I need to try to start spending equal amount of time in the news and in the Bible. Try to balance those things out. So I would encourage you maybe to consider ramping up time in the Bible to kind of counter all the time that we're spending now uh, reading the news and watching the news and get God's perspective on what's going on. I gain clarity in the Bible. I gain perspective as I, I put my faith in God more than our plans and more than our fears. And in, as I get through the Bible, it, it continues shows me this is the good, Bevan, that you need to work on today. This is the opportunity that is in front of you today. And that we can do. So I'll be praying for all of you this week as you figure out how to apply these ideas out of James to your life. And let me close in prayer as we wrap up this time. Father, we, um, we, as you know, we are living what you have said in these verses. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's been, well, it's been for most of us our lifetimes until we've ever experienced something like this. And in the middle of this, there's an opportunity for us to really evaluate how it is that we navigate the future. And we all admit that we tend to sometimes rely more on our plans or we tend to rely more on our ability to trust fear to protect us. And we really want to place our faith in you. We want to wake up every day grateful for your love for us, recognizing that while this has caught us by surprise, it has not caught you, that you have a plan and that you want us to be a part of us, of this plan and that you give us the opportunity to see the good that we can do today. So I pray that in our neighborhoods and our businesses, as we find opportunities to do good, that you would help us to do that good and that you would help us to begin to think through what kind of changes can we make in our life now so we can be different when we exit on the other side of this crisis. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.